What do you think of when you hear the word ministry? Find out today on Change by Grace. Welcome to Change by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Most people, when they hear the word ministry, think of serving in the church as a pastor or staff member. But rarely does anyone think of themselves outside of that context. In today's message, we'll talk about what the ministry is and show how all believers are called to minister. But with your Bibles open, let's study together from God's Word. It's a joy and a privilege for us to be able to study the Word together this morning. After having completed our study of the seven churches in Revelation, this morning I want to direct your attention to a very important issue in our life, equally as important as the things that we had been looking at, and that is the call of God in your life. Now, many times when we think about the call of God, we think about a specific ministry, a specific vocation of ministry that has to do with being in the church. But, you know, if you understand the word of God correctly, you understand that the call of God, it permeates every single believer in the body of Christ. And I hope this morning, if you haven't looked at it that way, that you will certainly begin to look at it. Some questions I might want to ask you is, what do you think of when you think of the word ministry? Keep that in mind as we go through this. And take your Bible for just a moment as we begin a look and turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, among the many things that are found there in that text, we find that God has a calling specifically on people's lives as well as generally. And you'll see what I mean by that as we look at this text for just a moment. It says there in verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers. Notice the word some. It means there that he didn't call everyone to those tasks. Now, we certainly believe that there are no apostles and there are no prophets in those official sense, but there are evangelists. And there are pastor teachers, the word pastor and teacher in the Greek, the word and is a hyphen and it's really talking about one office, not two offices. The literal Greek is this, a teaching shepherd. And the idea of evangelists here, it's not the guy that has 52 suits and 20 sermons and goes from church to church preaching to a congregation that's saved. No, this is more of a church planner. A person who goes into a place, he goes into a city where Christ hasn't been named, and he seeks to present the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Lord opens up the hearts and they're added unto the kingdom. He stays there long enough to establish a church, to establish leadership, and then he moves on. Uh, You could think of Titus in that way, because Paul told Titus that while he was there, he was to ordain elders in every city. So he had certainly a task. Now, when you look at this, the call of God, and you see it here as, first of all, verse 11, it not being on everyone in this technical sense, because he's come, he's called some to be evangelists and some to be pastor teachers. It picks the rest of us up over here in verse 12. Why did he do all of this? He says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, that's where we're all picked up here. He says here, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. God has called pastors and evangelists. He's placed them in a specific place in the body of Christ for the purpose of equipping the believers for the work of ministry. 
Now, where does all that begin? Where does the call of God begin when we look at something like this? Well, it begins, first of all, with a call to follow Jesus. And that begins at salvation. And let's just begin from there, because that's where everything does begin for us as children of God. We are called to follow Jesus Christ, and that does begin at salvation. The gospel is a call to follow Jesus. Now, many times you'll hear evangelists and you'll hear pastors who say, make a decision for Christ or come walk an aisle. Folks, none of those are really biblical terms. They're human terms that we've imposed. In fact, the whole concept of an invitation didn't come around uh, till about the Methodist movement with Charles Finney. Really, what God is calling us to is to follow him. Now, let's take that for just a moment and understand what that means, because there are different terms that he uses with that when he says to follow me. The first one is found over in Matthew chapter 16. How are we to follow Jesus? Over in Matthew chapter 16 and at verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, and now this occurs right after he rebukes Peter. You remember Peter uh, was troubled that Jesus was talking about that he was going to be uh, denied and he was going to be uh, that he was going to suffer and so forth. And it says over in verse 22 that Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. And he said, far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. But verse 23 says he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And then he said to his disciples, what did he say? If anyone desires to come after me, let him do what? Let him deny himself. Folks, when you think about the gospel and you think about the call to follow Jesus Christ, it first of all begins by denying yourself. That's where it begins. And you know, as you talk to people and you present the gospel to them, you find that that is really one of the issues that gets in the way. We're not willing to deny self. Because in order to deny self, you must humble yourself. In order to, to, to deny self, you must stop trusting your resources. But he says here, deny yourself and take up your cross. See, these are two components of following Christ. These are two components of coming to Christ in salvation. Notice what else he tells us. Go over to chapter 19. In chapter 19 and verse 21, in this section here, the rich young ruler had came up to Jesus and asked him, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And after Jesus tells him basically to keep the commandments, and he said that he had done all these things from his youth, what did he still lack? Jesus said in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Now, what's the point that Jesus is making here? Is he saying that in order to be saved, you've got to go sell everything you have? Is he saying you've got to give your money away in order to be a Christian? Now, I believe that what he is saying here is that you need to be willing to deny those things that get in the way of coming to Jesus. So we would say here, then, the gospel is a call to follow Jesus, not only by denying yourself, but also by denying your possessions. See, for some possessions get in the way. Because notice what happens here. Verse 22, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had what great 
possessions. You see, the God of his life was his money. The God of his life was his possessions. And he wasn't willing to deny that in order to have eternal life. It says over in Luke 14, 33, Whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So we're seeing here an understanding that to follow Christ, it means that you're willing to deny yourself. You're willing to deny your possessions. And then if you look over into chapter 10 of Matthew, you find that God calls us to deny those dear to us. And that is our families. Look at what he says in verse 37. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, we know that he's talking about the same thing because look in verse 38, he picks it up again. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The comparable passage is found over in Luke 14, 26, and it reads a little stronger. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. John MacArthur has a good note on this. He says Jesus was calling his disciples to cultivate a to cultivate such a devotion to him that their attachment to everything else, including their own lives, would seem like hatred by comparison. See, when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've got to be willing to forsake all to follow him. You've got to be willing to quit hanging on to your life. To quit hanging on to your possessions. And to quit hanging on to your family. We need to know that during the end time that there will come when children will betray their parents. They will give up their parents because of the gospel. See, God calls us to that kind of calling. So this call to follow Jesus, then, it is a call to discipleship. Now, let me say something about that. First of all, discipleship is not something that you enter into after you become a Christian. You are a disciple because you're a, a Christian. Let me show you that. First of all, you turn to Matthew 28 and look there at verse 19. And as you turn there, I want to read Acts 14:21. It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Notice the connection. They preached the gospel and made disciples. You go to verse 19 of Matthew 28, and you see the Great Commission there. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we see there that when God calls us to himself and he calls us to follow his son, it is a direct call to be a disciple. Again, it's not a second level of commitment that you enter into after you become a Christian. I was riding down the road one day and I heard a commercial on the radio, one of the Christian stations, and they were advertising something for getting involved in missions. And they used Matthew 28 and verses 19 and 20. And they said, the great commission, the command of God is that you go. But what's the problem with that? That's not the great commission. The Great Commission is to make disciples. 
Going, baptizing, and teaching is the process by which you make a disciple. In fact, the literal word there is as you are going. We see that making disciples then is an ongoing process. Just look at the verses again. As you're going, make disciples of all the nations. Is that going to take some time? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Is that not a process? It takes time to teach the Word of God to a new convert. It takes time to teach the Word of God to us existing converts. Amen? It takes time. And as we've read that verse over in Philippians chapter 1, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ, that right there is telling us of the process. We don't arrive immediately at perfection or spiritual maturity. It takes time, and all of us have to go through the process. So when you look at the call of the gospel, the call is to follow Christ. Now, does that stop at any point in your life? No, that continues on throughout your life. It doesn't stop at salvation. And that's where it moves me into this aspect of our talk this morning. And that is the call to ministry. The call to follow Jesus is also a call to ministry. Everyone is called to ministry. Everyone is given that general call. Going back to the passage here in Ephesians chapter 4, we are given the work of the ministry. God has placed gifted men in the church in order to equip us so that we might be able to do God's work, God's ministry. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when I think about everyone being given a call to ministry, I think of this simple fact that all of us have been given a spiritual gift. It says over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, having then gifts. Now, we know he's talking to believers because in chapter 1 and verse 6, he says to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So we know that everyone is given a gift and therefore everyone is given a ministry. God has given you a gift for the purpose of serving the body. Now, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look over at verse 11. He has just mentioned these gifts. And he ends it by saying in chapter 12 and verse 11 that it's the Holy Spirit that chooses what gift that you have. You can't just say, well, God, I pray today that I'll have the gift of teaching. Or God, today I pray that I'll have the gift of exhortation. You know, there are some things that you don't have the gift to do, but you're called to do them. You're called to give, but there are people that have a spiritual gift of giving. You realize that, don't you? God calls us to certain things. Like, for example, we're all called to evangelize the lost, but there are people that are gifted evangelists in the body of Christ. So there are some things that that we don't specifically have the gift to do, but yet in obedience, we're to do it. But notice here, it is the Holy Spirit is the one who decides what gift that you have. Look there in verse 11. But the one and the same Spirit, He works all these things. What things? Well, the gifts that He's just mentioned. Distributing to each one individually as He wills. So you can look at someone else and you can cover that person's gift and all you're doing there is sinning. Because you're ignoring the gift that God's given you. You say, well, how do I know what, God, what gift that God has given me? 
You know, sometimes we want to take spiritual uh, spiritual gifts inventory test and we think that a a computer can tell us what kind of gifts we have. Really, the best way to find out what gift you have is just ask yourself a simple question. What do I desire most to do for God? And then get busy doing it. Sometimes we, we spin our wheels over there on the sidelines analyzing what our gift is and we get nothing done. Because we're over on the sidelines saying, I don't know what my gift is. But ask yourself, what do you enjoy most in your service to Christ? What do you desire above all things in ministry? Look over at verse 4. He tells us that our gifts are unique. He says in verse 4, there are a diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministry or service but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities. The word there is power. There's diversity of effects. Not all of us have the same gift. God has uh, made it unique for each one of us in the gifts that we have. And it all is carried out for one purpose. And what's that purpose? Is to edify the church. Over in verse 7 He hints at that. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Not the profit of yourselves, but the profit of those next to you. The reason why you have the gifts that you have is so that you might minister to the person next to you. That's the only reason why you have it. To say that your gift is for your own personal self-edification is not true. If you want to look over in chapter 14... As Paul devotes a whole chapter here to the abuse of tongues or languages, he says there in verse 12, Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for what? The edification of the church. See, the whole desire is that the church be built up. Who is the church? It's every person that confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. Remember, the church is not the building. You remember that as a kid? You fold your fingers and you open them up. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. You remember that. Some cases we're opening up and where's the people? (laughs) They're out on the sidelines analyzing what gift they have. (laughs) Folks, God has given us a responsibility and it's a great responsibility. And it doesn't rest on one shoulders or two shoulders. It rests on all of us. God has called us to the work of ministry. And it's not just here in the church, but it's outside the church. God's called us all to be evangelists. God's called us all for the purpose of taking the gospel to the streets. And as far as the body of Christ is concerned, when we come together, we're to minister to one another. That ministry might be exhortation, exhorting. It might be encouraging. It might be rebuking. But certainly all these gifts, according to chapter 13, are to be done in love. So whatever gift that you have, you're to use it. And that's what he says over in Romans 12 when he gives the gifts again. And this time he doesn't list all of them, but he lists uh, those that I believe are really the active gifts in the church. If you want to look at that, that's in Romans 12, beginning at verse 6. 
He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So the call to the ministry is a call to discipleship. It's a call to use your gifts. Everyone has been given a gift as a child of God. Everyone is in ministry. Some years back, I read an article about Grace Community Church. And the article was titled this way, The Church with 900 Ministers. Now, the church didn't have 900 staff members. But during those days, it had 900 members in their church. And everyone was serving. Everyone was doing what Ephesians 4 talks about. They were being equipped and doing the work of the ministry. And that should be true of every church. No matter how many number you have, we should be that church with that many people ministering. Now let me say something else about the call to the ministry. It's also a call to faithfulness. Because God has given you a great trust. He has entrusted you with the true riches. And we're to be faithful. Well, let me give you some things that we're to be faithful in. First of all, we are to be faithful in prayer. It says over in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, to pray without ceasing. Now, does that mean that you walk around with your head bowed and your eyes closed and 24 hours a day? Well, first of all, eight or so of those hours, you're asleep. But no, it means that you have an attitude of the consciousness of God in your life. It's ordering everything to his presence. E.M. Bound says the ministry of prayer, if it be anything worthy of the name, is a ministry of hard labor, a ministry of unwearied and intense longing after God and after his holiness. You know that prayer is hard labor. When you ask yourself at the end of the day, how much time did you really spend talking to God? Just acknowledging him. You want to know how hard it is on your body? Just get on your knees and stay there for an extended period of time and then try to get up. We say that's labor for our body. But listen, it is a laboring ministry. I used to think a long time ago, right after I came to Christ, how come it's so difficult and so hard, you know, to read the Bible every day and to pray and so forth. And then I realized, well, it's because I've got still this sinful flesh that fights against that. And I think when, when we first begin, when we really come to grips with that, we begin to understand the fallenness of our own human nature. I think we'll begin to get a grip on these disciplines. God does call us to pray. Ian Bounds further says, to be too busy with God's work to commune with God, to be busy with doing church work without taking time to talk to God about His work, is the highway to backsliding. And many people have walked therein to the hurt of their own souls. So we're to be faithful in prayer. Secondly, we're to be faithful in passion. You say, what do you mean by that? Let me ask you this. Do you guard your passions? It says over in Proverbs 4.23 to guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Do you guard what goes in? Are you willing to guard that? 
or do you let your guard down? It says in Psalm 20, or 73, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. These are two major issues that should always be before us. Am I guarding my heart? Am I making sure that nothing gets in the way so that I can always say, who do I desire but you, Lord? See, because if you let other things in and you're not guarding your heart, what's it do? Can you truly say that there is none upon the earth that I desire but you? See, that goes back to the first one. Faithfulness and prayer. Faithfulness and passion. Third one, faithfulness and preparation. Do you prepare yourself to meet with God? Do you prepare yourself to study His Word? Do you go beyond the superficial reading and actually study it? And are you diligent, as 2 Timothy 2.15 says, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of truth? Are you faithful at that? Do you faithfully spend time with God in His Word? And then the fourth one is faithfulness and purpose. Everything you do should have a purpose. You say, well, everything I, I do does have a purpose. Well, let's talk about the kind of purposes to have. Look with me over to Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Is the one purpose in your mind that of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can we say as a church that we're one in mind when it comes to the gospel? When it comes to ministry? See, that should be true in each of our lives. Do we look at our lives and say, the purpose of my life, the reason why I am still here, the reason why God has left me here is to make disciples. He's left me here to proclaim the gospel. And he says here, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So is your purpose to share the gospel? Is your purpose to edify the church? See, there are many Christians that wander around without any purpose. They're not redeeming the time, as Paul says. So the call to ministry is not only a call to faithfulness, but thirdly, it is a call to compassion. Are you compassionate? Are you full of grace and mercy and compassion like our master teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I hope that you are. You've been listening today to a message called God's Call in Your Life. It's made available on one full-length audio CD. You can get your copy by calling us at 904-651-3351. Or you can go on our website and download the free MP3 by visiting us at www.changedbygrace.org. Well, I'm Pastor Steve Herford, and I want to thank you for listening today and hope that you'll join us again next time as we study together God's Word. Are you being fed the Word of God? 
If not, I'd like to invite you to join us this morning at 11 o'clock at Eastport Baptist Church. Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Eastport Baptist Church is biblical, expository, and reformed. Well, why not find out for yourself and join us? I look forward to meeting you.